My name is Nick Runlet. I'm one of the pastors here at CCF. And we are wrapping up a six-week series uh, that Pastor Eric has led us through. Um, and we're going to finish off uh, this Sunday morning. Uh, we, we spent some time talking about the mission of the church. And then the last four weeks, looking at different things that we as a local church value. Things that we think are important to God and important, therefore, to us as his church. And we're going to close our, our series talking about disciple making. You can see we talked about being a God-exalting church, about gospel living, Bible preaching and teaching, and then generous giving last week. And you can find the, the sermon audio for all of those on the website if you did miss, um, as Pastor Eric talked through those. But as I said this morning, we are going to talk about holistic disciple making. And I'll explain that term in just a few minutes but really, the, the value that we are going to look at this morning flows out of what we've discussed the last four, five weeks. The God we exalt saves through his gospel and changes the way we live. And as we hear the word preached, his spirit works through us to, to cause us to be more generous in our giving and even in the way that we give of ourselves for the sake of people and invest in the lives of people conversations I've had with many of you, and even as I've sat in member interviews with so many of you and heard a little bit about your story and what God has done uh, throughout your life, one consistent thing that, I, that I've heard many times and you express over and over again is how everything changed for you when you began to be discipled. Whenever that was, if it was as a, as a kid or once you got to college or once you joined a, a local church where that was lived out, everything changed for you once you were operating in the life of your home and in the church in the way that God set it up. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. This is the picture of life together we get in the scriptures. And in Colossians 1, Paul has spent the first chapter lifting up Christ as the one who is supreme, as the one who was before all things, above all things, holding everything together. And this Christ has made peace by the blood of his cross. So those who were once alienated, hostile to God, enemies of God are now friends, sons and daughters brought near to God because of the work of our supreme Christ. So this is the gospel that he reminds them of. And then ends this chapter in these two verses, these final two verses of chapter one, calling them and showing them what it looks like to live in light of that gospel truth. In light of who Christ is and what he has done, that changes everything for Paul. Everything is done differently now. He, he holds up Christ for them in this letter and then seeing Christ clearly changes the way he views everything. We've already seen that in a previous week in Colossians 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So everything is done differently. Whatever you do, it is impacted by the truth of who Christ is and what he has done through the gospel. I'm sure most of you have seen those videos of someone hearing for the very first time sometimes later in life, and they're hearing for the first time their spouse of 30 years' voice, or their kids, or their family members. 
After years of perceiving the world one way, their perspective has changed. Everything changes now that they hear. (coughs) Or videos of someone who's colorblind putting on those glasses that allow them to see color for the very first time. Quite literally changing the way they view everything. You now clearly see everything has changed. And, And spiritually speaking, for those in Christ, this is our reality. We can't go from blind to sight and not have everything changed for us as the people of God. In our verses this morning, verses 28 and 29, we see that Christ transforms the way that Paul views his ministry to the body of Christ. Which is not only, I think, an example to us, but a reminder of our responsibility in Christ to one another. So we're going to look at these two verses, and I think we can see sort of a framework for disciple-making. And he is not writing this so that we would talk one day about a framework for disciple-making. I don't think that's his point of, of writing that to us, but I do think we can glean this truth from these scriptures as we witness Paul ministering to people. So as we look at how he ministers to people, I think we learn a lot about what it means to make disciples. So that's why we're going to look at this framework of disciple-making from Paul's words here and the ways he ministered. But wait a second, this passage doesn't say anything about coffee or good books or small groups or even disciple-making is not in this passage. But the truth is, I actually think it is all about disciple-making, what Paul is after here, is all under this umbrella of disciple-making. Everything Paul is doing, everything he pulls the other believers into with this language of we, is the work of disciple-making. What he almost echoes later in chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So as it dwells in you richly, then it comes out of you into the lives of other people, as you teach and admonish in all wisdom almost the same type of language. So he's modeling and then calling us to it. But as we begin, before we get into the text, I want to just briefly show you how we try to think about disciple making within this local church. Um, and you'll see on the slide behind me, and it won't make sense right away, but this is meant to show you kind of the, the way we're going about growing a discipleship culture here at CCF. So everything we seek to do, although we don't do it perfectly by any means, but we, the goal is for everything that we do to be about making disciples, teaching, admonishing, training, equipping. So whether it's Sunday discipleship through the preaching and the praying and the singing and the seeing of the word, whether it's through small group discipleship, and that can be an adult Sunday school class, that can be a small group, that can be a social supper or Bible study or a seminar So I don't have to read through all of these, but you can kind of just see that pretty much covers everything we do as a local church, all with the goal of making disciples, growing disciples. And so even as we come back to as leadership and as a local church, is what we're doing aligning with what our goal is, with what we're seeking to accomplish as a local church? Even something like a bookstall which I probably enjoy too much, right, is a means of discipleship. It's a resource for us to get into your hands so that you can be equipped and admonished 
spurred on in this work throughout the week. Right? So even things like that are intentional in our goal of disciple-making. And this is really what we mean when we say holistic. The definition of holistic is characterized by comprehension of the parts of something as intimately interconnected and explicable only by reference to the whole. So this connection between all the little things we're doing being connected to the main thing we're doing. It it should make its way into every part of who we are as followers of Christ and therefore a church. We want to do all we do in an intentional way to help each other look more like Jesus. So discipleship is not just a Bible study at Bill's Donuts, although that's a fantastic way to do discipleship. And it's not just something that's taught by an elder or a teacher. And it's not just for certain people or an elite group within the body of Christ. It is the whole church helping the whole church follow after Jesus Christ. And this happens in a lot of different ways. Lots of different ways. And you saw even on the screen, lots of different ways that we seek to do that. But it must be intentional. It's got to be a work that we are involved in and engaged in. And what Paul's talking about here should be happening in every one of those areas that you saw. The definition we love to use for discipling comes from this little blue book. I know many of you have seen it or read it called Discipling. And I would encourage you to read it. But it it defines discipling this way. Deliberately doing spiritual good in the lives of those around you so that they will be more like Christ. And there are lots of good definitions for discipling. I think that's a helpful one. I love the deliberate nature of the work to do spiritual good so that they will look more like Christ. So it's an intentional work that we are engaged in. Simpler way to even say it is just intentionally helping others follow Jesus. You are being intentional about how you help other people follow Jesus. And I think we absolutely see that in our text this morning in Colossians 1. So what do we learn about helping others love and follow Jesus here in Colossians? I think there are some key components of this kind of disciple making that Paul includes us in. And the first is to proclaim Christ Jesus. This is the message of our disciple making. The message is vitally important to our disciple making. Verse 28 begins, him we proclaim. This draws, again, from what I already mentioned in earlier in chapter 1, Paul has already been saying, and he points back to Christ or him as the center of the proclamation, of the instruction, of the admonishing and warning. And this is something we proclaim. This is not just Paul. He says, him we proclaim. Those who confess this supreme Christ and believe on Jesus and have been saved, proclaim him. We speak of him. We speak into one another's lives about him. That is the work we do, as Paul models it for us here. Verse 28 is elaborating on what Paul means when he says at the end of verse 25, that he has been given the task to present to you the word of God in its fullness or to fill up the word of God in you. The good news of Jesus, the gospel of Christ Jesus revealed through the word is the message we proclaim. Him we proclaim. And part of that proclamation is a warning and a teaching with all wisdom 
So with the word, with the truth of who Jesus is and what he has given us in his word, we warn and we teach with all wisdom, not our wisdom, not all our wisdom, with his wisdom. And this is the most important tool we have got in the work of disciple making. The word that proclaims King Jesus, not your charisma, not your life lessons or our TED Talks, not our great home for meeting in, which can be a good thing, or even our education or our age and experience. Those are not our greatest tool in the work of disciple making. But Jesus, if you know Jesus and the word that reveals him, you can be involved in the work of disciple making. Jesus and the wisdom that comes through him and his words to us are our greatest tool. And we are the agents or the vessels or instruments through which God chooses to warn and teach his people. And the greatest way we can do that is by proclaiming him. Matthew 28, which we looked at in the first week of this series, it involves in that command, which is a similar command to this, right? The teaching that all that Jesus commanded, talking about all that Jesus commanded, which Paul is getting at here, I think, in verse 28. So through this proclamation, we warn one another about traps, about sin, about snares. We sound the alarm about things that are worthless that we see people running to, destruction that they're headed towards. We encourage them when they need it, when we can tell they're struggling and beaten down. We teach them what is good and worth pursuing, worth living for and worth dying for, why Jesus is actually better and worth it. That's what we proclaim. That's what we warn about and admonish in. That as Josh actually just read, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And we do this for people. We do this for the glory of God and the good of others as we live life with people. We need that. You need that. One place we see this call clearly is Hebrews chapter 3. And really what I want you to see here is just the necessity of one another to help in this proclamation in the fight. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How often do you need one another? Every day. As long as it's called today, which is every day. Right? That's how often we need to be reminded and pushed on and pulled back. Every day. By God's grace, we are here to help one another not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The opposite of all of this and what we see in Hebrews 3 is isolation. It's withdrawal. It's Lone Ranger Christianity, which is not at all what we see in the New Testament. And it's going to lead to you being hardened and deceived by sin, which is why we need other people to speak into our life which is why you cannot do this alone. And I would even call out to you in this room that are isolated right now. Run away from that isolation. Run to people that will proclaim Christ to you, that will warn you 
and admonish you because it will not be long before you will walk away from him in this church if you continue in isolation. I promise. It always leads there. You begin to be deceived. You begin to, to be the, the one who talks to yourself the most and you begin to believe those lies of the enemy. So run. I would encourage you this morning, run today, this afternoon, run to people. We need each other. And this is not just for one ministry within the church. This is not just for the gifted. And it's not just about memorizing a bunch of verses, although that is obviously helpful. Or having theological language down so that we can talk in certain circles. This is the whole church intentionally helping one another follow after Jesus. So how you and I understand and live out that role greatly impacts the health of our church. The health of this church, I know this is self-serving, but it does not depend on the pastoral staff. The health of this church does not depend on the elders or the people teaching Sunday school solely. It depends on you all. The health of this church depends on how you pour into one another, how you serve and love and proclaim and warn and admonish one another. Obviously, we rest in the sovereign care of our Lord, but he has given us this role in the lives of one another as the church to care for one another in this way. So if we're truly going to have a healthy culture of this kind of disciple-making, there are some things that we individually and collectively are going to have to commit to beyond just showing up. It takes all of us fighting against that natural urge. And that is a natural urge, isn't it? Just to show up and leave and then show up again and then leave. The natural urge is to be a consumer instead of a co-worker or a co-laborer, as the scriptures talk about it. Paul uses language throughout his letter that points to this work that we labor together in. Christian, you are a co-laborer. You are a co-worker in this fight. And there's a big difference between being a consumer and a co-laborer. A consumer only takes in for themselves. A co-worker pours out to others. A consumer is a spectator. A co-worker is an active participant. A consumer sees himself as a cistern to just store up more and more truth. A co-worker sees himself as a channel to give grace and truth, to proclaim Christ. A consumer sees others around them as someone else's responsibility. A co-worker sees others around as their responsibility. This is a beautiful picture of what God can do when we co-labor together. And so many of you do this so well. So I don't want you to even walk away thinking like we don't do this at all. There is so much good that God does through you in the life of this church, in my life, and in the lives of many others. But we are called to be disciple makers as those who are disciples. So we can't forget that that involves proclaiming Christ to one another, warning, teaching, in all wisdom. So what needs to change in order for you to have opportunities to do this? in order for this to be a natural rhythm of your life? How do you build it into your life? Or maybe you have to evaluate some things you're doing right now that are keeping you from being involved in this type of intentional work. So what needs to change? So first, we proclaim Christ Jesus. This is the message. Second, we present in maturity. This is the goal. So we have the message. We also have the goal. 
He writes, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the goal in the proclaiming and the warning and the teaching and all wisdom is to present in maturity. So this goal in this type of disciple making, we want to present in maturity those who we walk with. There's a whole lot at stake in the relationships we have within the local church, within our families. This is not just a weekly get-together. This is not just a weekly pick-me-up to carry us through the rest of the week. This is about, truly, if we can get this vision, this is about preparing one another for life and for eternity. That's what gathering as the local church, one of the primary goals of gathering as the local church and being a part of a local church is to prepare one another to be prepared for life and eternity. Do we view these relationships that way? This is something that has eyes set on the last day. This is how Paul got to work, not thinking about, all right, what results can I get today? He's looking ahead and saying, this is a a beautiful picture of what God will do as I invest in the lives of people, as I send these letters to the churches, as I visit with the churches, as I travel around. Eyes set on the last day. Not what's easier right now, because certainly it's easier right now to not invest in these types of relationships, to not pursue disciple-making in this way, not in what will free up more nights for me to sit in my comfy pajamas and watch TV, right, which is an enjoyable thing, or what's easier for me in, in being able to avoid confrontation and hard conversations and feeling inadequate, feeling not ready. But what will last as they are presented mature in Christ? This is a vision to see what matters most, to proclaim with the end in mind that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Again, connecting it with what comes later, we already read this, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So let it dwell in you richly so that you can help it dwell in others richly so that they can mature in this way. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul, in the benediction, after admonishing them to pursue their own growth and sanctification, tells them this, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This is a charge he gives to the body of Christ to be investing in the body of Christ. And this is the type of ministry that the people of God are called to. And the hope is that God gets the glory as people are helped to be more faithful followers of him. So invest in others with an eye on the better, bigger picture. This is the goal, their maturity. The goal is not to create little minions of us. The goal is not to build up our ego or to make some friends or to have influence. And it's even not to inflate the the legalist in us that, that feels like, man, I'm a pretty good Christian. I'm investing in people. I'm discipling. Right? That, and those are real temptations we have when we're involved in the work of ministry. We're involved in the work of pouring into other people and being poured into. But something that lasts forever. Everyone is being discipled by someone. 
or something. All of us, every day, are being discipled. And if we don't disciple people, someone will. The culture will. Our kids' friends will. Our screens disciple us every single day. We must take the call on to disciple in this sort of way with this end in mind to present mature in Christ. Because this type of disciple making is helping people get ready to suffer well. Getting ready for real life and what happens in real life. Right? Trials and temptations and persecution that may come. And unmet expectations in a marriage and loss. Right? Preparing people for that type of stuff. Getting ready to, to work for God and not man. Helping people get ready for a perspective that values and fears the Lord more than people. Helping people get ready to live under the fear of God and not peers. Getting ready to help people be a faithful single or a faithful husband or wife. Helping people get ready to raise their kids in grace and truth. All of which we do imperfectly and, and you as a disciple maker do imperfectly. But we seek to continue as those redeemed and broken, pointing people to the one who is worthy and is not broken and did what we could not do. And we get to do this together. We want to help people get ready now for what they don't even know is coming. For when cancer shows up, for when marriages are falling apart, when work is hard, when the spouse they've prayed for isn't anywhere to be found, when age doesn't allow them to do what they once were able to do, when success in work is stealing their heart and their time from their family and giving them more money than they know what to do with. And when joy comes, right? And we could go on and on with what we are preparing one another for in this life to walk in faithfulness and ultimately preparing for the last day. Christ's aim back in verse 22 to present his people to God holy and without reproach. And Paul's aim grows out of this that he may present everyone complete in Christ, mature in Christ. And Paul did not believe it was his job alone. It belonged to a community of faith. It may start with a few, but the reason we're gathered here this morning is because disciples made disciples who made disciples who made disciples and continued to pour into the church down through the centuries. And a healthy church makes disciples. Here's the description that you'll find on our website for this value that we're calling holistic disciple-making. And again, with all of these, these are not things we have cornered. These are not things we do perfectly. These are the goals we have as a local church that we feel like the scriptures bring to light, that we're just trying to pursue together. So how we equip in the important process of disciple-making is by approaching it holistically. This type of disciple-making is intentional about helping one another love and live for Jesus by sharing the gospel with non-believers, growing together in gospel living, helping one another mature in Christ, and by training one another for the work of the ministry. This happens in many different contexts and includes both corporate gatherings as well as intentional relationships. And you can see a list of passages on the screen that we draw this from. So it's not just we take Colossians 1 and run with it. There's a, there's a 
a host of scriptures that we're trying to inform our, our view and our value of holistic disciple making. But it involves everything from evangelism to training others for leadership. All along the way, it's meant to grow us into spiritual maturity. And you know, most of you know, we don't fall into spiritual maturity. We would love for it to happen that way. Sometimes we pray like we think it happens that way, and we act like we think it happens that way, but that's not what happens. We don't fall into it. It involves deliberately doing spiritual good. So pray and think then about how you can be intentional about this type of calling that we have. Not only for you, but for others as well. And as others do it, that will benefit you in your growth and spiritual maturity. So what are some of your main goals even in being part of a local church? I think that's just a helpful step back a minute and think about what is your actual goal for being a part of a local church like this? Is it just because, I mean, that's what I've done since I was five. You're just a part of a church. I don't think anyone would answer that, but that, that can be just the rhythm, the habit, right? We just show up. I've always shown up, and so that's why I'm here. What are your goals for being a part of a local church? I think that's going to impact how you walk into this room on Sundays. It's going to impact how you engage throughout the week, how you think about the people sitting next to you, which leads into that next question. How do you view the people around you? Don't answer that out loud, but how do you view the people around you? Is it just... Oh, man, an awkward conversation I'm going to have to have this week again as I leave. Or what three things can I talk about as I enter into this conversation? But how do you view the people that God has placed at CCF in this particular church in 2023 in second service? How do you view the people around you? And then, therefore, how do you think about your responsibility to them? What is your responsibility to them? Obviously, you can't know everyone in this room. You can't invest in everyone in this room. Everyone can't invest in you in this room. But there are some particular things that the Lord has called you to do. And so what is your responsibility to the people that God has placed in your life, in your small group, in your Sunday school class, in your relationships here? So one final thought from Paul in chapter 1. First, we... Proclaim Christ Jesus, that's the message. Second, we present a maturity, that's the goal. And third, we just need to prepare to struggle. That's the process. Verse 29 reads, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So this is a hard work, and ultimately it's a work that's outside of our control. No wonder disciple-making doesn't come easily to the church. He comes to the end of this incredible opening chapter that describes Christ and his beauty, details of the gospel and what the gospel does. And he says, this is why I work so hard. This is why I toil and struggle with his energy and his strength because he is worth it, because the gospel does work, and because I want to present my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to maturity. The toil and the struggle is worth it. it. It is all worth it for the sake of Jesus Christ and the sake of his people. The word for struggling in verse 29 can also be translated agony. So this is not a work that's necessarily easy. 
It's not a work that is meant to puff you up. It's the work of giving yourself over for the good of those that God has brought into your life. So genuine Christian faith is not lazy faith. It's a faith that we have received based on nothing we've done, but yet calls us to then get to work. He allows us to be used as we are motivated and, and empowered by the work that he does in and for us. So Paul toils and struggles. And if we really want to do spiritual good to others, we, we've got to know that it's going to require agonizing work and struggle. Honestly, discipling others is pretty inefficient. As we've talked about before, growth and maturity is a lot like falling up the escalator. If you've seen that image. And you have kind of a front row seat to that process in one another's lives. Not always pretty. We often make a mess of things. I mean, you know this. If, again, if you do have kids or you were a kid once and you know how you were, right? There, there is not, if only it were one conversation with my son and everything changed, right? If only I just showed him that one verse, oh, and he was just convicted to the core and everything was different. Right? It is, it's not one moment, it's a series of moments, it's years of moments, and it's painful, and it's a struggle, and it's, it takes everything within us to say, I've got to look beyond today and this moment to what's ahead, to what God could do and will do. Right? That's why we toil and struggle. Disciple making is not results-oriented. It is not one conversation about sin or walking along someone for just a day. Usually it's a long, hard, painful process. And when you enter into people's suffering and sin and struggle, it, it drains you. It can drain you. And so you've got to be ready to walk into that with the goal in mind, with the vision of what God has done and what he will do through those circumstances and through those relationships even family discipleship is hard, right? I mean, I'm so glad there's not a video camera on any family worship we've ever had at night, right, with my little kids. Right? It's hard. Like, and, and, and some of you experienced that, and you've, you've had those relationships and those coffees over and over again with the same conversation. How many times am I going to have to tell you the same thing I've told you 500 times, right? That's, it's an investor's mentality to say, I'm looking beyond right now, and I'm going to continue to be faithful and pray that God uses me so that he can do a lasting work. I have a, a quote printed off on the wall in my office so that I'm constantly reminded of this. Uh, it comes from the book Lead by Paul Tripp. He writes, I'm convinced that the life and ministry of a leader who's marked by low-grade grumbling, feelings of dissatisfaction or conscious complaint indicate a foundational misunderstanding of the nature of the church and ministry calling. Church life was not designed to be comfortable. What is the church? It's a chosen gathering of unfinished people still grappling with the selfishness of sin and the seduction of temptation, living in a fallen world where there's deception and dysfunction all around. There's no, nothing comfortable or easy in this plan. The church is intended to be messy and chaotic because the mess is intended to yank us out of our self-sufficiency and self-obsession to become people who really do love God and our neighbors. God puts broken people next to broken people, 
not so they would be comfortable with one another, but so they would function as agents of transformation in the lives of one another. Just even reminding yourself of that this morning, that you are broken and you are sitting next to someone who's broken. But the hope is that they are resting and trusting in a redeemer who is not. And that means that you don't have to hide the broken. Like we all know you're broken. We've all just admitted it. I should have you just repeat after me, I am broken, but I'm not going to do that, right? We've admitted it. We don't have to hide it. Like just recognize when you go talk to someone about something, they should not be surprised that you are a sinner, a saint who sins, right? That you are weak, that you struggle, that you need to be admonished and warned and taught. So let's not hide from that. Let's not think that the church is not meant to be that place. Because it is. If any place can be that place, it should be us. It should be the church. So what would it look like for you to begin intentionally investing in this way, pouring into you in this way, living in this way? And whatever your answer may be, and it will be different for each of us, even with all that work and toil and struggle, let us never forget it is God's work. struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So if we have any hope to do any good as a church, to do any good in presenting one another mature in Christ, it will only happen as God's spirit works in the midst of the mess and our weakness where he is strong. And I want to offer just a few very simple, let me stress very simple, but I think very important next steps that you can be thinking about as you're praying through this and considering what it could look like. And first, I think this could be a point in almost every sermon, but become a committed student of the word. We are students of so many things. We are studiers and we pursue so many things. If there is one thing you could become a student of, be a student of the word. Know the word, memorize the word, read the word, listen to the word in your car, pray the word, sing the word, whatever you've got to do to let the word just saturate you. That is what is going to help you to be a disciple maker who is helpful to those around you. Second, look for intentional ways to listen and to speak truth. So even as you walk into this place on a Sunday morning, as you walk into your small group, as you get coffee with someone Walk into that conversation ready to listen. Just be intentional about listening. And then where God gives opportunities, speak truth, proclaim Christ, warn, admonish, encourage into that situation. Just really making yourself available, allowing God to use you in relationship. Third is to adjust your schedule to make disciples. I, I, the last thing I hope that happens this morning is you walk out of here just feeling like, oh, one more thing I got to worry about. You know, one more thing I got to, I'm already busy enough. How do I do this? Well, I think, first of all, this should just be a part of who you are and what you're building into your life. But there may be some things you need to do to adjust your schedule, to change some things, to prioritize some things so that you can live out this calling as a disciple maker. For some of you, it may just be incorporated and into your life. Um, a couple examples that are given in here is just uh, the, the author, Mark Dever, would 
Is if he was going to the grocery store one night, he'd just call up a young guy that lived close, that he knew was single and knew would want to get out, and he was kind of discipling, just say, hey, come grocery shopping with me. Let's talk. Let's talk while we're grocery shopping. Maybe that's not your form of, of intentional discipleship, but maybe it's, hey, my kids have a game tonight. How about you come with us? Let's come to the game. We'll grab dinner after. Just be around my family. Let's have some conversation, intentional discipling that way. Whatever that looks like, build it into your schedule. Build it into your life so that it becomes a natural rhythm for you. And then last, I just wanted to say, take small steps of ordinary faithfulness. You don't have to eat the whole apple right now, right, as you leave this place and just fill your schedule with things so that you're always discipling. That is not the goal. I want my desire and, and what I think would be faithful for us is to just take small steps of what does it look like this afternoon, tonight, this week, to take small steps of ordinary faithfulness. Maybe it's just reaching out to one person. Maybe it's... Uh, yeah, pursuing a discipleship group. Maybe it's investing more intentionally in my small group or my Sunday school class or using the time before service more intentionally. I don't know what that looks like. Small steps of ordinary faithfulness. One way we try to do that here, we think it can happen outside of our weekly gathering is through what we call intentional discipleship groups. And you're going to receive a text um, if your number's in Alexio with the link to this sheet. If you don't get it, just shoot me an email and I'll, I'll get it to you. But I want you to remember, this is just one way. This is not the way, the only way. This is one way we think you can be intentional about building into one another. And you'll see there are some links at the bottom where you can click to get more details. But really what this is, is the first couple years that I was here, one of the questions I got the most is just, I don't know where to start. I have no idea where to start. And maybe you do know where to start, but you just want some helps or tools in that process. This is what that is set up for. Um, so there are different even variations. This does not mean option one, you're a light Christian, you know, and option three, you're a super Christian. It, it's just really how much do you want to engage with other people over certain things? And how much time do you have when you're meeting? Maybe you only have 45 minutes, you know, in the morning before work, and so you're just going to do maybe the light option. But that would include prayer and scripture reading and accountability. And then you can kind of just see one thing is added for each level. Um, the last one would add scripture memory and then reading some good books along with those other things. So when you click here, that just really gives you a couple sheets with detailed information about what it could look like, what the goals of the group would be, you know, what even that hour and a half could look like, you know, broken down. It's way more than you need probably for that. You're not going to follow that when you meet with someone. But just giving you even books to read, scripture passages to memorize, even what each meeting could look like, what you could do in each meeting. So it's really just meant to hopefully be a help to you if I, you don't know where to start or you just want some more structure to what you're seeking to do, I would encourage you to just click on that link and you can check that out. Um, but if you have more questions about that, don't hesitate to reach out to me. And again, that first graphic earlier showed you this is not the only way that we do discipleship or we are about the work of disciple making, but we think it's a really helpful, helpful way uh, to be able to do that. Um, so none of what Paul has talked about and none of what I've talked about is something that just happens randomly, right? Take that away from here. As you think about this, it's not going to happen randomly. You're not going to grow randomly. We've got to be intentional about the ways we're making disciples and being invested in so how can we help one another follow Jesus more faithfully for the glory of God, for our own spiritual good, 
and for the good of those that we call our brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, would you stand with me as I pray, and then we're going to close our time by singing one more song together. Father, thank you for the great work that you have called us into, this family of faith, and I pray that you would just help us to view one another more like family and the responsibility we have for one another, the ways that you can use us and use others in our life. Remind us of that today. Maybe these were just reminders for us. Maybe they were new things for some of us. I pray that you, whatever, wherever it falls, I pray that you would just help us to, to walk away from here recognizing the great work that we get to be involved in, not because of anything we have done, but because of what you have done in us. Father, help us to be faithful to you, and when we fail, let us rest and remember the work of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.